Welcome everyone to today's devotion. We're in Hebrews chapter 2. And Hebrews 2 picks up right where the first chapter is. And so the opening paragraph, first four verses so, is really a conclusion to his thought about this that Christ is superior to the angels. But remember the big idea that Jesus is supreme. So look at verse 2. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So remember, the word has come through the prophets and, and given by the angels. And what is their message? It is Christ. Christ is supreme. Christ is creator and redeemer. So how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? He goes on in verse, in verse 3. It was declared at first by the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. He said, look, how will we escape this greatest salvation when we have received that the message of the gospel is true? And that was attested by Christ himself, his apostles, signs and wonders and everything. So he says, don't neglect this great salvation. Rather, if you know it's true, embrace it as truth and nothing else. Well, he goes on in verse 5, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. Now, now, now notice what he's doing. He says, look, Christ is supreme to the angels. All right. But then he's going to say, we were made a little lower than the angels. That's, that's what he does here in verse 6. What is man, quoting Psalm 8, one of the most important psalms in, in the Psalter. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? It's parallelism. You made him a little lower than the angels. There's some debate as to how that should be translated, particularly in the Hebrew. I'm just going to go with what the ESV says here for the sake of argument. You have crowned him with honor, glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now notice, notice what he's doing here. He says, Christ is supreme to the angels. Man is made lower than the angels. Yet, let's go back to Christ. Christ was incarnated as a what? A man or an angel? A man, of course. So we see the depth of the incarnation of Christ, the purpose of the work of the Creator, that though he is superior, even the angels, he stoops down to our level, made a little lower than the angels or to the Elohim or the gods. Or Again, a lot of debate about Psalm 8. So, in fact, notice what he says, verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. So, so it is Christ who is made lower than the angels because he became one of us. Crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Notice what he just said there. The crown and glory of Christ is the cross. You see, this is a theology of suffering rarely discussed in uh, American evangelicalism because whether we want to admit it, we've bought into a soft prosperity in American evangelicalism. Christians love Jesus so long as everything's okay. But what do you have here? The writer of Hebrews is saying, look, at the center of the gospel is a story about suffering. And not just any suffering. Suffering of the divine son who tastes death. And that cross is this crowning of glory and honor. After all, when he's raised, how does he present himself to disciples? As one crucified. Here are the marks of my wrist and my side and my feet. 
I give testimony that the Son of God has suffered. And so the application is very clear. If Christ suffered, and that is his crown and glory and honor, what makes you think, dear loved ones, that we won't suffer? We won't face difficult times. But Christ's death had purpose, and that was in dying he would taste death for everyone. Yet we don't view the cross exclusively by the cross, but we view it also through the lens of the resurrection. So we have this mystery, don't we? One who is superior to the angels, stooped below the angels, if you will, for a time, it says, in the incarnation. To do what? To become one of us, to die as one of us, for us. That is his crown and glory and honor. It's the cross. I want to look at this last paragraph, starting in verse 14. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. So, just as we're flesh and blood, Christ became flesh and blood. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. We've talked about this before. When I first came to East Frankfurt, we, we really developed this on a Wednesday night. That You need to see that, there's, that what Christ accomplishes uh, over the cross is victory over sin, victory over death, victory over the devil. This is articulated here for us. He becomes flesh and blood, like us in every way, yet without sin, he'll say later on. And what does he do? He dies, succumbing to death and the devil, and to conquer death and the devil. That's the freedom of the Christian. The sting of death is removed. And deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to a lifelong slavery. This is what sin is. Sin is slavery. And so Christ, in that moment of death and resurrection, sets us free. No longer defined by uh, our sin, our past, our shame, our guilt, any of that stuff. We are defined by who Christ says that we are. This is the good news of the gospel. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Now notice here, this is the, the uplifting of humanity. Not that we have more power or glory or anything like that angel, but he says, look, he stoops down to lift us up by the means of the gospel. Isn't this good news? You look at this. This is wonderful news. Verse 70, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. That will be developed in chapters uh, 7 and 8, I believe. Um, and so we, we've already looked at chapter 8. So you can go back. I believe the first one we ever did was Hebrews 8. But he'll develop this theme that Christ is a true and better high priest. So he's a high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Let me see if I can summarize this. This is helpful to me. It always helpful to you. Christ is both high priest and lamb. He's the one who makes the sacrifice and is the sacrifice. He's the one that stands between us and God as priest. He's the one between us and God as atonement. It's the mystery of the cross, the mystery of the incarnation. Christ, uh, um, um, Christ brings the entire Old Testament system together in himself, in the cross, in the resurrection. So he didn't become an angel, he became one of us, stooped below the angels. Though he's above, stoops below, so that he might redeem us. Verse 18, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now notice what he said there. Christ was like us in every way, yet without sin. He faced temptation as you and I face temptation. Yet, he overcame it. So too, when you and I face temptation... When you and I are in the midst of suffering, there is Christ, who is a sympathetic, the writer will say later, sympathetic high priest. Isn't that good news? Christ who is supreme is Christ who was incarnated. 
So we don't pray and cry out to a distant God. We pray and cry out to a very present Savior. It's good news, I believe. Hope to see you guys here Monday. See you then.